Please be seated. I have an idea. Let's play a little game. It's called uh, Finish the Christmas Lyric. I'm going to quote the first part of a lyric. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. You're going to finish it. Now, I'm not going to go all youth ministry style and pit this side against this side or anything. You can just play this in your hearts and minds like good Episcopalians. Okay. Or you can say them out loud if the spirit so moves you. Are you ready? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Oh, wow. Y'all do want to play. Okay. All right. Away in a manger. Good, we're two for two. Okay, this one's a little harder, but Oh Holy Night. A choir, I should have excluded y'all. You'd better watch out. You'd better not cry. Or how about this one? All I want for Christmas is my... Yeah, maybe not that one so much. Most of us could finish these songs, right? And I realize that for some, some of us, it seems a little goofy that, that we would do this. It, doing something like this from the pulpit lacks the gravitas that we might reserve for the last Sunday of Advent with our minor keyed hymns and our chanting and our despairing of darkness and hoping for light. Good news, though. We have permission to be joyful even today. And in doing so, we are following a fine historic tradition in our church. And you know, if we were really going to go old school with Advent for Sunday, we might even engage in a little hijinks. I might have worn my vestments inside out. I, I didn't. Or played practical jokes on one another this morning. And you know, today at 9 o'clock, for those of you that are here, of course, we had our annual non-anxious Christmas pageant. It was breathtakingly cute. But what does playing the Christmas carol, finish the Christmas carol from the pulpit, or, or watching the reenactment of uh, Jesus coming to earth with elementary school kids here have to do with Advent? Doesn't all this frivolity just cheapen the serious nature of this song that we will sing or read three times today? The song of Mary, the Magnificat. But you know, Mary's song was, at one time at least, inspiration for a feast of fools, a festival, a carnival, which is a word that has at its root the word carny, which means flesh, an observance of God becoming flesh. In 17th century France and in other places, Christians held revels and parties in honor of this Sunday, and they read the Magnificat in honor of this Sunday. There's records of Franciscan monks wearing their cassocks inside out, holding their psalters and prayer books upside down, shouting out gibberish instead of prayers, all to observe and commemorate God's Son becoming flesh through Mary. Instead of singing, priests and choirs would bray like mules to commemorate the Holy Family's later flight into Egypt. We do mules on Palm Sunday here. For our ancient fathers and mothers, at least some of their final preparations for the Feast of Christ meant that they would have fun and they would do lots of singing. 
Hence, we do lots of singing today. Remember something, though. Our, like Mary and Elizabeth of today's gospel, our forefathers and mothers also would have lived during a time of great violence, political oppression, where the realities of death and violence hung about for us. And they were ruled by monarchs and despots, just like Mary and Elizabeth. And so they were observing on this Sunday the Magnificat's praise of this absurdity. God's radical act of becoming one of us. Praising God for a reversal of their status. And what a reversal the gospel proclaims today. And in response, two women do what? They sing. Mary and Elizabeth are two of the most marginalized human beings for their time. Mary, young and unwed, and Elizabeth, way too old to have children. And they both get messages from the Almighty. And they share the good news, not by going to the temple and making a sacrifice or telling the religious authorities, but by being together, telling their story to one another. And John the Baptist even joins the chorus of good news by leaping in Elizabeth's womb when Mary walks in. We can be joyful today, too, because today Mary herself tells us that the world has been turned upside down. A young, expectant mother sings, and a revolution begins, not by an army or a god riding in on a white horse from the clouds, but through two of the most human human beings, by two vulnerable and powerless people, two of the most unlikely prophets and most unlikely harbingers of God. God, becoming one of us, they sing. So, let's finish these song lyrics. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful. Maybe for our final preparations for the feast of Christ's birth, we can sing with Mary. Because Mary sings for us. How God comes and looks with favor upon the lowly. God shows mercy to everyone. God scatters the proud and fills the poor with good things. God helps all people forever. Christ's coming, Mary tells us, means a rearrangement of everything we once knew about this world. The last being first. Forgiveness and kindness instead of violence and vengeance. Peace instead of anxiety and fear. Generosity for the undeserving. Mercy for the wicked, pride for the lowly, full bellies for the empty. Mary's Magnificat sets for us a pattern. It gives us words to sing about God's new reality. Mary's song orients us towards 
what is of ultimate importance as we head towards the feast of Christ. So, we have proven together today our songs do have a tendency to become etched in our memories. So let's learn a new one today. Let's sing Mary's words. Let's sing them in our minds. Let's sing them in our hearts. Let's sing them with the work of our hands. And let's start down this path of upheaval and revolution and love and peace that began with a young teenage girl. A path we are promised that will mean none other than God's kingdom on earth. Amen.